one of the big things that needs to be um, sort of myth busted is this idea that when we meditate and we, we, you know, just like take, take part in this whole field of wellness is that you're always going to feel bliss every single day, every single time. And that's really not true. I think if you really want to do the work and you really want to sort of transform yourself into the better version of you, that requires a lot of profound letting go. And a lot of times this emotional history is so deeply knotted up inside of you that when you actually start using these techniques, it'll bring up these deeply sort of embedded things inside of you. And you'll actually start feeling the emotions that you have had clogged up inside of you for years. Not always. Sometimes they leave very silently, but sometimes they come up and they'll make a bit of a storm inside of you. And as they pass through the conscious level of the mind and, and then, they're, then they're gone, you know, you feel a lot lighter your mind feels a lot clearer. You can see better, you know, after having released so much of this emotional history. I study the patterns of the universe. Masters to the brain. Talking about your life. Fundamental principles. Philosophy. What is and what is not true. Those who know themselves. Being better every single day. Well, hello again, and welcome to the Think Grow podcast, where personal development meets real life. I'm your host, Ruben Chavez, and if this is your first time listening, what I do is explore a variety of topics with thought leaders, creators, writers, uh, entrepreneurs, scientists, and people from all different walks of life and a variety of different backgrounds to bring you different perspectives you can use to enrich your mind and improve your life in whatever way you see fit. And with that goal in mind, today I am talking with Young Pueblo, who is a writer, and I've been reading his book, Inward, recently, which has really struck me as very insightful and profound on a variety of different levels. Actually, Young Pueblo and I have known each other for several years through the internet. And um, I just thought it was time to have a real-life conversation with him, or at least a remote conversation with him. And it was fun. It gave me a chance to ask him about some of the concepts that he writes about in the book, which include things like emotional history. Um, and he expands on on that. And I think it's a, an interesting and a useful concept that um, can be used to help cultivate inner peace, which is an underlying theme of, of our conversation, I think. Um, I also asked him about meditation. Young Pueblo is a huge meditator and really dedicated to the, to the practice. In fact, our conversation happened a few months ago, which was at a time when he had just returned from a, I think, 45-day silent retreat, which is mind-boggling to me. And so I asked him about his experience with that. And I also asked him about other tools that are available and that he recommends for kind of cultivating inner peace and dealing with our individual emotional histories, as he calls it. And actually, um, as I said, this conversation happened a few months ago. I've just now gotten around to, to publishing it. But since then, I've actually been inspired to meditate more and actually incorporate meditation into my life in a more consistent way. I, I still am, am far from what you would call a regular or dedicated practitioner, but um, I've definitely um, incorporated meditation into my life in a more regular way and have to say that I've definitely found 
some obvious benefits associated with it. And and then there's a whole body of research actually that backs up the the benefits of meditation. For me, it's it's largely been cognitive, which if you've listened to me for any amount of time, you'll know that I'm obsessed with improving my my cognitive capacity. And so so I've been really happy about that and and I attribute much of that to to young Pueblo and his admiration for for meditation and the benefits that go along with that. So if you are at all interested in the subjects of wellness, personal development, meditation, and kind of dealing with your emotional history and your past pain or overcoming that and, and cultivating inner peace, then I highly recommend listening to this conversation. Um, I think you'll get some great value out of it. So here you go, Young Pueblo. Okay, I am here with Young Pueblo. How are you doing, man? I'm doing really well. I'm really excited to, you know, get this moment to share with you right now. We've been uh, we've been friends for a little while, so getting to go a little deeper is going to be quite fun. Yeah, this is really one of the first times, I think maybe the first time we've spoken in real time. You know, we we've been emailing and messaging back and forth for seems like years now, but uh, it is cool to <laughs> get out in this platform now. So you know, I so your given name is Diego Perez. I, I I wanted to ask you why you use the the pen name, uh, Young Pueblo, and that's also your Instagram name for for the people listening. Right. But why right. do you use the name Young Pueblo? Um, that's a name that sort of just came to me a number of years ago, really, when I started Instagram, and I didn't think too much about it. But over the years, I've really built a strong affinity towards it because it doesn't describe me in any way, but it really just uh, reminds me of a few important things. And one of them really is that, you know, when you think back to when we were children and we were in kindergarten and you remember, you know, what was it that our teachers were really trying to impart on us? And there were very few specific lessons. You know, they wanted us to tell the truth. They wanted us to clean up after ourselves. They wanted us to not harm each other and to be kind to one another. And as individuals, you know, we may be able to do those things. But when you take the whole collective of humanity, you know, we don't know how to do those things at all. When you take us really as one, um, you know, we don't know how to clean up after ourselves. We're constantly hitting one another, harming one another, and we could be treating each other a lot better. So to me, when I use the name Young Pueblo, it really reminds me that humanity has a lot of growing up to do. And I think specifically over these next hundred years, you know, there's a lot of really big challenges that we're going to face collectively. And, you know, we have a lot of growing up to do. So I like to be reminded of that pretty often. And other than that, um, it reminds me of my roots. So I'm from originally, I was born in Ecuador, um, Guayaquil, Ecuador, to be exact. And I grew up here in the United States and in, in, uh, in Boston, and I'm currently living in New York City. But the word Pueblo really just reminds me of um, of my, my city because there that word just uh, really sort of refers to the masses of impoverished people. So I really like to remember my roots. Got it. And yeah. and, and for those who, who don't know, Pueblo in, in, in Spanish, you know, means uh, town, right, or, or, or city. I mean, actually... I live in Tucson is the old Pueblo. That, that's what that's what it's called uh, kind of colloquially. And so that's funny that you're that you go by the young Pueblo, just kind uh-huh. of a synchronicity. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah, because, um, yeah, and Pueblo, the word really stretches far and wide because, um, yeah, in 
And it, in Ecuador, I think it definitely means town as well, but generally it's more used for to refer to just the people, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So, 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 so the name came to you kind of just in a flash, just in your mind or? Yeah. When I was, uh, when I was, I remember signing up for Instagram, I was like, what's my name going to be? Young Pueblo. <laughs> and, and, um, and yeah, it's just like sort of taken on this like whole deeper meaning. And I really, I'm, I'm glad, you know, cause, um, I also like to maintain some sort of privacy. So it's cool that when people are interacting with, um, the words that I'm putting out there, you know, it's with this character, young Pueblo. Yeah. That's awesome. So you are, I, I mean, I know you through your online works and you have a, a really insightful, um, Instagram page. I also know you through your book inward, which I want to talk about before we get there. I, I guess I want to talk about like how you got into writing. I also want to ask you when you tell people what you do, what do you tell them that, that it is that you do? Is it as simple as writing or is there something a little deeper? Yeah. Whenever people ask me what I do, I say, I'm a writer. And then they're like, what do you write about? And I say, you know, it really depends on how I'm feeling that day and what, um, you know, who I'm talking to. But I think really what I'm trying to write about is just, you know, demystifying the human mind and sort of going, um, helping people go inward and just try to really know themselves a lot better. And a lot of that is pretty psychological and, um, philosophical. Yeah. I've noticed that. I mean, but, you, yeah. you do get fairly philosophical and pretty deep in, in a lot of your posts. I mean, your book, it's like in your book inward, you have on some pages, maybe 20 words on the entire page, but you can, <laughs> you can read it, you know, in, in just a few seconds, but then the processing of that will, will take you a lot longer, right? If you sit with that for a while and I think that's what's so special about about your book is that uh, it does have thoughts that you can really chew on for a long time. Yeah, that's that's exactly that was the aim is, um, you know, I really wanted people to be able to just open up to any page and sort of get something that they can really think about for the rest of the day or inspire them in some fashion. Because, you know, a lot of a lot of what um, the writing sort of entails, too, is that, you know, I meditate a lot and that's really sort of the the foundation of it all. And, um, meditation is such a deep, you know, it's very experiential. Like it's, it's very, it's a deep experience that you're going into, but I just try to sort of intellectualize some of the experiences that I, and the things that I'm learning. Well, that's important too, because you really need to, people need some kind of buy-in. They need some kind of hook in order to get, go down that path. And so that's why intellectualizing it, intellectualizing it, is hopeful because people can can grasp that on an intellectual level. But I think once you get deeper into your into your teachings, and I definitely want to talk about it and get deeper with you. But mm-hmm. once you get deeper, it's not all intellectual. There's there's more stuff that you need to to grasp on deeper levels. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot. Um, I think a lot. Of what a lot of people are learning today is that wisdom wisdom really comes from direct experience. And it's not necessarily on the intellectual level, but it's really in our ability to feel what's true. And, um, but it's still important, you know, because a lot of us, you know, a lot of people aren't meditating, but they sort of want a new framework to think about life or to consider things through. So it helps to intellectual intellectualize these, you know, you know, rather important ideas that we're feeling, you know, in our actual bodies. I'm curious to know what you 
how you approach the idea of truth because you just mentioned you know help people helping people to know what's true and i want to talk about that actually so i want to flag that so we can come back to that real quick how did you get into writing initially um i never 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 planned to be a writer i um always i was always really big um I just loved activism so much. I started taking part in activism when I was about 15 years old. And it has always been a big part of my life. But then when I started meditating Vipassana, um, as taught by S.N. Gwanka back in, uh, when was that, July 2012, it really shook me up really in a really positive way. And I've always been so concerned about liberation, but in the more material, like external means that I never quite had the enough experience to really conceptualize what it was to be internally liberated. And I really feel like those two things go hand in hand. And when I, um, when I started learning more and more and I did a, a number of courses, um, it just hit me that, you know, even though I'm not perfect, I'm not enlightened and that what I understand will change, you know, it's still worthwhile to try to intellectualize these things and sort of put put it forward in, you know, a, a poetic manner or through prose and whatnot, that it would still be, you know, helpful to some people. What do you mean by, by liberation exactly? Um, when I think of liberation, I think the total freedom of the mind. I think a lot of what we feel, a lot of the misery that we feel comes from this sort of very profound uh, movement of the mind, which is really driven by craving. And, um, our ability to sort of, you know, go into our mind and start releasing all these patterns of craving, which is really possible because the mind is highly malleable. Um, once there is no craving and we can really be in the present moment, we can really sort of, you know, witness reality objectively, then there's a possibility for total freedom. And even though I'm not there, you know, I can cultivate, you know, more and more of these moments where, you know, I can see more objectively than before, which um, sort of hints at, you know, that, you know, everything has a beginning and an end. And like all paths, you know, you start a path and the path doesn't continue infinitely. And it ha also has an end. And, um, and there have been so many people in my tradition as well that, you know, have gone that far. And, and yeah, you know, I think uh, real, real liberation is definitely possible. Sort of think you can think of it as the, the end of misery. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And, and you're saying that has to do with, with a um, breaking free from craving is that, is that what you said? Yep. Got it. And craving yeah, yeah. like material craving. things or what exactly craving? What exactly? Uh, craving, craving anything, any object that the mind can hold on, you know, whether it is um, an idea, a person, you know, or how you want someone to act or literally any type of conception or conditioning that you can think of. Um, all of these things really stand in the way of the present moment. How did you get started on this path? Like, how did you realize that this was something that you wanted to work on and that you, you know, how did you start meditating and um, working on yourself in this way? I had a friend of mine that I went to college with who he got his heart broken and he, you know, ended up going on this very long trip and he ended up uh, in India. He came across this you know, he was like, I think he was just walking down the street and saw this sign for this meditation center. And then, you know, this is like a really, you know, to this day, still one of my best friends. And when he finished his first silent 10 day course, when he came back, he just wrote us this email. And I was, you know, after reading it, he was, he, he just, all he could talk about was love and compassion. And I'm like, what happened to him? You know, what, <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what, you know, what happened to my friend here? 
And then immediately I was like, wait, whatever happened to him, I need some of that too. Cause I was going through a real transformational moment as well, where, um, you know, I, I used to, I really used to live in a way where my, my cravings really dominated my actions. And to the point where, you know, I was really harmful. Like I, you know, my, um, I didn't treat other people well. I definitely didn't treat myself well. I was, you know, taking way too many intoxicants to the point where my body was really hurting. And then it's sort of, you know, when you hit that point where it's like, okay, I need to change right now, like deeply for my own good, because I'm so unhealthy and so unhappy. And, um, you know, it started off with, it's interesting because, um, I'm, you're, you know, your old, um, your old Instagram name that had to deal with superfood. Um, I, for, for those people that don't know the, uh, <laughs> So, so I, and, and I just realized this recently, um, what's that? Sorry to bring up your, your old history. No, no, that's actually, it's a funny point because I mean, we, we've been connected on Instagram for, for a while through Think Grow Prosper and your Instagram, Young Pueblo. But, um, but I didn't realize until recently that you'd followed, you know, in a previous life, I used to be kind of an herbalist and was really into like superfoods and writing about, um, nutrition and things like that. And you were a fan of that page too. This was like back in 2012, maybe, and, um, maybe even earlier. And so you were a fan of that page and then you somehow found me to think real prosper unaware that I was the same person. But anyway, that's what you're referring to. My, my, my username was desert superfoodist. (laughs) So anyway, sorry to interrupt. No, but no, totally fine. But, um, you know, when I started realizing that I needed to make some dramatic changes in my life, the first thing I started doing was drinking water and I started consuming superfoods. Yeah. And that just created so much healing in my body that, you know, I was immediately starting to feel better. But then I knew I needed something to I needed something deeper. And when my friend had finished his meditation course, I immediately signed up. He was like, you know, Vipassana is amazing. And I was like, OK, let me try this Vipassana thing out. And um I signed up, I think I did one a few months later and it was just sort of such a shocker. You know, it took me, I went so deep inside myself and saw so many things that I, you know, parts of myself that I was totally unaware of and really having the space to be able to really let them go, um, was so, you know, was just like the epitome of health for me. It just took, um, my mind health to a whole new level, really, you know, literally sort of letting go of so many of these patterns that used to harm me so much. But from there, you know, that's really where my own journey really started. And, and, uh, you know, writing and the creation of Young Pueblo really all came together. So when you first were exposed to meditation after, you know, you had this experience seeing your friend transform himself, when you first tried to meditate, was it a very easy experience where you immediately like, Oh, this is it. Like, this is, this is perfect. This is the, the <laughs> thing for me. Or was it a little bit more Rocky? It was way rockier. I had never meditated at, at all. Really. I think I meditated once for like 20 minutes and I had no idea what I was doing before I did the, the first silent 10 day course. Mm-hmm. But, um, no, it was extraordinarily Rocky and, you know, really painful and, and difficult. I mean, I wanted, I wanted to run away. I really wanted to, I think around the day four or five and six, I was trying to, you know, plan my escape. But luckily I ended up actually taking my first course in Washington state. And I was in Portland at the time, Portland, Oregon farming, and I had gotten a ride from someone. So I literally had no way of getting home because this man was also there for the course. (laughs) And I couldn't talk to anyone 
And I had, you know, I had very little money too at the time. So I, I was literally in the middle of nowhere and I was like, crap, I have to stay here because this guy's my ride back to Portland. <laughs> so <laughs> luckily forced. everything worked out that way or, or else I would have ran away. <laughs> wow. So you're kind of forced to, to stay there and face your, your, your demons as it were. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it, and it turned out for the best because, um, I really, really needed that. And then I willingly, you know, like, um, I did that one in July and then in September I signed up for another one and did one. And, um, you know, it was just so super beneficial that I just sort of, you know, kept doing them every few months. So is, is meditation, would you say the, the main entry point for you that, that has helped you with cultivating inner peace and transforming your life in a, in a positive way? Or is that kind of one of the, the main tools that you use on a daily basis or, um, you know, are there other, other, others? Yeah. Um, I think, um, I mean, definitely currently it's absolutely the main tool. Um, you know, I meditate every day and, um, and I still go to courses and it really, I meditate in the morning and in the evening and it's really the, you know, the centerpiece of my life. People often ask me, you know, how I keep my cool, especially when, um, you know, so many human beings are just in such a giant spectrum of, you know, morality and how they treat each other. And, you know, there are tons of mean people out there, but what really just helps me sort of move forward in um, improving myself and understanding the world better, understanding myself better is really, is really meditating. And you, you do Vipassana? Yeah. Vipassana as taught by S. Goenka. It's, um, it's a technique that has actually been around for 2,500 years that was given to the people by the Buddha. And, um, it's really, you know, I feel really fortunate to be able to have this technique because it's literally like exactly how it was 2,500 years ago. Mm. And it was mm. kept, kept in Burma and is now, you know, all over the world. There's like 150 centers. And, you know, if you go to dhamma.org, D-H-A-M-M-A.org, you can, you know, you can see what centers are near you and sign up for a course. And, it's uh, highly accessible and it's even free, which is the crazy thing. It's um, you can go away for 10 days and, and at the very end of a 10 day course, if you complete the course and if you want to and have the means to, you can give a donation. But there have been times when, you know, I had such little money that I gave nothing or I gave like, I remember the first time I went, I gave 24 bucks and I was fed for, you know, 10 days, had a place to sleep, was in a great environment. It's pretty amazing, but it, uh -huh. the whole system ends up working out because different people give according to their means, you know, so people who have more end up giving more, but nobody forces you to do anything. Wow. That's a pretty interesting culture. And so what's the difference between Vipassana and say, uh, transcendental meditation? Because I'm familiar, I'm more familiar with transcendental meditation, at least the term, just yeah. because people like Tim Ferriss and other people that I've, um, you know, that I'm fans of, that's the form of meditation that they yeah. practice. Is there a big difference? Is there benefits to both? What's your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Oh yeah, there's there there are definitely benefits. I mean, when you're meditating, I think you're you're definitely not wasting your time. There's a lot of different meditation styles and um, different traditions, but um, I think what would set the two apart is that from 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 what I know of um, TM is that you work with mantras, and um, in vipassana um, we don't use mantras, and we only just basically you just observe the sensations on the body as they are. And, um, so you're working with the breath or with whatever sensations are happening on the body. So, yeah, but so, you know, I, I, I support people and, you know, really, you know, you want to find something that works for you and that really meets you where you're at. Something that, uh, 
challenges you is, is, is a challenge for you, but is not overwhelming. And, you know, if you find that sweet spot, then you're definitely going to be able to grow. But ultimately, do they have the same goal? Do all these different forms of meditation, do they have the same end goal? I'm not sure. I mean, <laughs> I haven't tried every meditation, you know, um, the Vipassana has worked so powerfully for me that, um, that I've kind of just been like, man, I have my hands so full with this that yeah. I can't really look elsewhere because it just, it's just the benefits that it's given, given to my life over these past five and a half years have just been tremendous. So, you know, I only practice Vipassana, but no, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't know. I mean, I don't know what, what the end goal is for others, but I know for Vipassana, it's definitely the, the end of misery is the, is the ultimate goal. The end of misery. That seems like a reasonable goal. <laughs> um, yeah, worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you talk about emotional history, and I want to know more about mm-hmm. what you mean by emotional history and kind of how it, it uh, impacts our behavior on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. I think... Um... You know, human beings have known this on a smaller level um, for thousands of years, but it's becoming more and more widely known. And I think um, even, you know, um, Western like neuroscientists and psychologists are starting to understand this as well. But the things that we felt in our life, you know, if you look back on the long life that you've had, there have been so many ups and downs and so many moments where we felt such intense emotions that, you know, you may think that after, you know, after you've been angry for like, someone has done something really mean to you, you've been angry for about a day or so, and then it goes away and you're no longer thinking about it on the conscious level. Well, in actuality, you know, that intense anger or intense sadness or intense loneliness, whatever it was that you were feeling, you know, it really leaves a mark on the subconscious of the mind. And that mark will sort of predispose you to feeling that same particular emotion Um, later on when a similar situation arises. So understanding that, you know, though you may have felt something a long time ago, uh, the mind works in a way where it really sort of accumulates patterns and the patterns being, you know, a pattern towards a particular emotion, it will really just accumulate them in the subconscious. And as the mind continues accumulating all of these things, you know, it really sort of affects your daily behavior to the point where, you know, someone may may say something mean to you and you don't even feel like you have a choice. You know, all of a sudden, bam, you're angry. And, you know, it's it may seem a bit daunting that, you know, you may think to yourself, wow, well, I felt so many intense things in my life. You know, I have so many things accumulated in my mind. But just the way it may seem daunting, it's also really empowering because um, the mind is highly, highly malleable. You know, we can really change our perspectives and just the, the way our mind is, you know, the contents of our mind with different techniques. So it can really also be a very empowering thing. I want to get to some of those techniques. I want to ask you a little bit more about, about just the idea of emotional history in general, though. So essentially, it is a sort of residual emotional pain or, or, or some residual feeling from, from an interaction or some experience you've had. Is that an accurate way of describing yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty spot on. I mean, it's really just um, you know, every time you're reacting in a very intense way, it just sort of will, you know, leave a mark on the subconscious of the mind. Even like you know, it'll like reinforce like a neural pathway uh-huh. that'll take you into a particular area of emotional response. You know, you'll like and you know, if you've been feeling a lot of sadness in the past, then it's likely that you will feel more sadness later on. 
unless you start doing something about it and start really using some sort of technique that will start letting go of that old sadness. So then you won't be as predisposed to just feeling sadness every time similar situations happen. So what are some of those, those tools that you can use to help you not be, I guess, triggered by certain experiences that may, um, that may turn up certain emotions in you? Yeah, I think, you know, um, what we're really looking for is anytime. That's why I think, you know, something like, like what you were saying, TM, you know, is beneficial because there are so many different techniques out there now that are totally globally accessible that what they're essentially doing to the mind is calming the mind and concentrating the mind. And whenever the mind, the mind sort of calms down and concentrates, then there's a, there's a space in the subconscious that starts opening up and you really just start releasing a lot of these patterns very quickly. And, um, you know, it's quite powerful, but there are so many things. I mean, if you take a practice of yoga, saunas very, very seriously, you know, that can definitely calm and concentrate your mind and help you start releasing, you know, like we were mentioning Vipassana TM, you know, Kundalini yoga, there's so many different types of meditations, even outside of that, you know, um, different sort of breath work, like pranayama, mindfulness techniques, um, different forms of therapy, even talking to a, a good psychologist, you know, you don't need to like necessarily have a, you know, you don't need to necessarily start meditating or, or it's, it's always beneficial because some techniques will take you to deeper la- layers of the mind, but any sort of type of, um, inward observation will get you started. But like I said before, you know, it's, it's really good to challenge yourself and, but also, you know, understand that you don't, you shouldn't be overwhelming yourself with something that may feel way, way, way too intense for you at the moment. But if you do challenge yourself, you know, the mind is like anything else. It's just like the body and you're not just going to go and run a marathon. You should, you know, you got to train for that. And I think if you want to train into, you know, training yourself into being happier, you know, being more predisposed to having inner peace, then it takes cultivation. And I think, I mean, you hit at a, hit at a lot of this too, you know, in Think Grow Prosper. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I love the idea of a toolkit of sorts. You know, you have a lot of different tools at your disposal. You have modern psychology, you have, you know, yoga for some people, you have yeah. Um, yeah. therapy, you, you have meditation. And so I, I love that. What are some of the tools that you used early on um, other than meditation or, or that you still use today to help you, I guess, well, with anything really, but I guess to help you uh, cultivate inner peace, let's say. I think, um, you know, it's one of the, one of the big ones that's really overlooked is just, um, eating high nutritional foods. I mm. think outside of meditating, that was a real big one for me was just eating in a way that would support my, my life, like my, my like life substance, you know? And, yeah. and, um, like, I think I remember when I first started off, I, w- I realized that I was like, I, I eat, I used to eat way too much meat. I would eat meat three times a day. And that was, and from particularly for my body, that was way too heavy. Like I wasn't eating cause I know bodies are very different, Yeah. but, um, I remember for me, um, my body works best on little to no meat and starting to understand that and really build that awareness and trying different things, you know, adding the superfoods, drinking more water, exercise that helped, you know, really relieve a lot, a lot of, um, the like current tension that was happening in my mind. But it wasn't until, you know, I really started 
sort of really turning that lens inward and really observing myself, which ended up leading into me getting excited about meditating and actually doing meditation that I really started seeing the very significant results. Cause I used to tell my, I told my friends, I remember the first time I did my first, uh, silent 10 day meditation after I got out, I told them, I was like, I learned more in 10 days than I learned in four years of college. I just, I felt I, I had learned so much in terms of like wisdom and have let let go of so much. I think I had probably lost like maybe like six pounds or something in those 10 days, but I felt like I had lost like 50 or 80 pounds. You know, I, I felt like, you know, I just felt so much lighter in such a deep, profound way. That's pretty hard to describe. And what that lightness that I was feeling was actually just, you know, letting go of these huge chunks of patterns that have been burdening and limiting my happiness all of my life. Yeah. And you just got back from a, or recently got back from a 45 day silent retreat. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So I actually ended up, I did a 30 day silent, uh, meditation retreat. And then I ended up staying for 14 more days, um, serving. So I ended up uh, working in the kitchen because there was a 30 day course and a 45 day course happening simultaneously that started at the same time. Hmm. So I just stuck around and, um, and, you know, kept, uh, serving and cooking and sort of helping people. But yeah, I, I did my first, this is my first, uh, 30 day course, which was, um, you know, very profound. I definitely, definitely got a lot of things out, which was really, really good for me. Yeah. That, I mean, that's so interesting to me. Like, I, I want to ask you more about that because, uh, well, first I, I want to know what exactly is entailed in a silent retreat, um, particularly the one you were on and what, compelled you to do that? Um, what compelled me was, you know, it was interesting because I, you know, I, I just released my book. I released my book in November. So I remember talking to my wife and being like, is this the right choice? Like, this is kind of crazy. Like I just released my book. I should be, you know, posting and giving talks and doing yeah. all these things to support. But, you know, we both came to the conclusion and I really like, I couldn't give up this opportunity because the benefits for my personal individual life are so big whenever I go away to meditate that to have the opportunity to, you know, go away and really like, and just meditate for 30 days straight is, you know, the benefits would just be humongous. And, um, I, I couldn't pass that up, even though it might've seemed like the crazy thing to do, you know, especially after having released a book and, it, and, and it's really true. You know, I, I feel a lot, lot, you know, better, you know, I'm not perfect, but I, de I definitely feel how, I can think a little more clearly and, um, my inner peace feels stronger and there's, um, a little more wisdom in the mind that's helping me, you know, perceive reality much more clearly. And, and that to me, that's really useful because I, I think what comes first is really, you know, my life and my interactions with my friends and my family and my wife and, and seeing how all of that's going and then, you know, writing and all of that really sort of comes second, but it's, yeah. So, th so to me, being silent for even a few days sounds crazy. It sounds like I, I don't know if I could do that. I would go, I would go insane. So what, like, what exactly does it look like? Like, what is a third? Yeah, yeah. When I, when I read that you were on your Instagram, that you were going, I think you messaged me too, that, that you were going on this retreat for 45 days. I was like, whoa, that is yeah. nuts. Oh. Like, I, I can't even imagine that. Like, I felt bad for you almost because I was like, no, you can't even. And and so um, I'm just wondering what exactly that looks like. I have um, – I actually listened to Tim Ferriss give 
his account of his, uh, he went on a silent retreat, a 10-day silent retreat, where he couldn't read, he couldn't write, um, he couldn't speak at all. Um, I think maybe there was a 10-minute, a 10-minute um, little, like, consult every couple days or so. Um, but mm-hmm. he kind of went crazy. He kind of, well, he didn't go completely crazy, but he said that he reached a point where it was it was turning up some things that he just did not expect. The first few days were fine, but then eventually it got to a point where he hit like this emotional uh, roller coaster that was that really took him by surprise. And if it weren't for a particular spiritual guide, I think it was Jack Cornfield that was there at the retreat. Um, he would have gone off the deep end. And so he's wasn't really into it and, and he doesn't know if he would do it again. But I'm just wondering what your experience was like. And just for people who have who have no reference for what a yeah. silent retreat is, what does it look like? Um, yeah, so it is, you know, so you go in there and it's um, you take a vow of silence and then you start meditating right away where they give you instructions, um, you know, every day, you know, telling you um, how to meditate. And they're always, they're always very simple, but you know, you go in there, you eat twice a day. And if it's your first time, you'll, you know, you'll eat some fruits for dinner in the evening. Cause you don't want to actually fill your stomach up too much. It helps you if you keep at least, you know, if you only fill up three, three quarters of your stomach, it actually helps you meditate. And, um, so we eat in the morning, you know, you wake up at, you wake up at four in the morning or four four twenty, and then you start meditating around four thirty. And at 6.30, we have breakfast. And then at 11, we have lunch. And then at 5, we have tea or, or we eat fruits, you know, depending on what our or, you know, what, what your dietary situation is. And, um, and then you keep meditating until 9, 9.30. And you guys are all doing this as a like in a community hall or something like around other people? Or are you isolated in different yeah. rooms? Or Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a meditation hall. And there's also this... Um, this sort of building that's called a pagoda where you each have your own sort of meditation, um, area that you can go into, but you, you know, mostly, especially in the, in the those 10 day courses, um, you meditate, you know, in the meditation hall for the most part. And, you know, so you're always, you know, moving together with your, with, with the group and, and you're eating eat. together also. Yeah. You're so, eating so, together. So, so when you're eating, you're just all silent. Nobody's talking to anybody. Yeah. Totally <laughs> quiet. All you hear is, um, you know, like plates moving and, and stuff like that, but totally silent. And, you know, the whole while, I think, um, I think what Tim Ferriss is very, what he said was very valid. I think, um, the purpose of these things is to make whatever is deeply accumulated inside you come up so that it can be released. So him feeling that emotional roller coaster is actually pretty common for people in their first few courses. Um, I know I definitely went through that same emotional roller coaster when I did my first 10 day and, it's actually, I think, and this is sort of um, one of the things that um, I'm glad we're talking about, because one of the big things that needs to be um, sort of myth busted is this idea that when we meditate and we, we you know, just like take, take part in this whole field of wellness is that you're always going to feel bliss every single, t- every single day, every single time. And that's really not true. I think if you really want to do the work and you really want to sort of transform yourself into the better version of you, that requires a lot of profound letting go. And a lot of times this emotional history is so deeply knotted up inside of you that when you actually start using this technique, so when you go away and, um, you know, you meditate Vipassana or you meditate, whatever it is that, that you're using at the time, um, it'll bring up these deeply sort of embedded things inside of you. And you'll actually start feeling the emotions that 
you have had clogged up inside of you for years. And but not always. Sometimes they leave very silently, but sometimes they come up and they'll make a bit of a storm inside of you. And as they pass, as they literally pass through the conscious level of the mind, and, they're, and then they're then they're gone. You start developing that feeling of lightness, of where you know you feel a lot lighter. Your mind feels a lot clearer because this emotional history will function like like a set of clouds that just sort of hovers around your eyes, so that you can't see you know, um, reality as clearly as you can. And this is metaphorical, of course, right? Your eyes are literally not cloudy, but, you know, metaphorically, you can see better, you know, after having released so much of this emotional history. But that's, uh, I'm glad that he was there, you know, with a really good guide. And and luckily, I have a pasta we have wonderful teachers as well that, you know, as you're going through this process, you're definitely going to feel a bit of turbulence. But, But the turbulence is actually good for you because it's actually releasing you know, it's a sign that you're letting go of these like really chunky aspects of your mind that are actually real burdens. But, um, but yeah, you meditate, you meditate some, you know, about 10 hours a day, every day. And then at the end of it, um, they have a little buffer for the 10th day in the morning of the 10th day, you start speaking and, um, you know, getting, getting more acclimated, you start extroverting and, you know, you get to share your experience with your, all your new friends that you've been meditating with uh, for 10 days. And you just meet amazing people and, you know, all of you sort of talk about, you know, how hard it was, how amazing it was, how difficult it was and, and how much, you know, you're sort of, um, you know, you, you start really feeling the results of what you did. And I think, you know, the reason I go back and keep putting myself in a situation like that, you know, imagine, you know, going away for 30 days instead of 10 is because the benefits are huge, man. And like when you're, you know, so many people ask me, you know, how to let go. And what do you do when you let go? And people may conceive of that process of letting go as something that's very intellectual, but actually a lot of the deepest letting go happens in moments of profound silence. And you know, you end up knowing later on what you let go of when difficult situations arise, you know, later on in life, or someone says something mean to you or or something happens that, you know, in the past you would have been like, oh, you know, you would get upset but you start feeling, you know, peace in moments where you used to feel tension. And that's when you know, like, wow, this is really working because, you know, I can think clearly in moments, you know, where before I would just be a wreck. Yeah. Yeah. What was your goal going into that silent retreat? I mean, did you have a specific outcome that you wanted to achieve or, or, or what was your goal? I think just to, just to make sure that I was practicing Vipassana better and better. Mm. Um, I think, um, you know, it's, it's such a long process to really, you really just go deeper and deeper on this path and, you know, to move forward on it that I really wanted to have the time. Cause you know, when I, at home, I only meditate, I meditate two hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I go there, you know, getting the chance to meditate so much more, there's just so much more that I can learn and let go of that, it gives me the space to see, you know, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing the technique, but I could actually be doing it a bit better. And I'm um, just sort of really getting that profound awareness that you get, that you only really get when you're, you know, in such deep silence and such, in such a, a deep sort of serious environment, sort of such a serious meditative environment that um, your awareness gets so sharp that you're, you start noticing sort of the nooks and crannies of how you can meditate better. And, um, and also live your life better on the outside. So, so for you, it was a little bit more technical. Like you wanted to practice the the, well, or the practice of meditation. Did you have 
like any emotional objectives or things that you wanted to work on transformational wise or anything like that? Yeah, I think um, it's it's interesting. I mean, I definitely have the objective that, you know, I want to be happier and more peaceful, but yeah. you don't, you don't, I mean, I think it, for me personally, and I think for others in my tradition too, it's best to not go in with any particular thing that you want to get over because mm. the meditation will just it'll take out whatever it is that needs to be taken out at the moment. Got it. And, um, and really it's, it's such a cool, um, practice and really letting go because the more that you let go and you just sort of sit into the practice, then the results will actually be bigger because if you're actually trying to aim your practice in a particular direction, then, um, you're, you're not being as efficient as you can be if you were just, you know, focusing, okay, let me, you know, practice Vipassana the way I'm, I should be practicing. And then that's when the, the real magic happens. I'm assuming that you wouldn't recommend 30, 45 day silent retreat to someone who is just starting out. I may be wrong no. about that, but you can tell me. No. Uh, okay. No. I think, um, I think it definitely, it takes 10 days to learn the technique. And I think, uh, that 10 day model, you know, is fantastic because it really sort of not only, you know, do you learn technique well, but you also get to cultivate parts of your mind that you just never cultivate in the outside world. You know, you literally, we spend all of our time intellectualizing, reading, writing, you know, speaking and being able to turn your awareness inward and actually start being able to like feel the sensations, you know, like the vibrations on the body at a very profound level. Um, that's a really special cultivation that you're doing and, and it's, it's very rare in our everyday lives, but yeah, 10 days is definitely the way to go. Or, you know, if 10 days seems like too much, there's tons of other, you know, traditions and techniques, you know, even starting with 15 minutes a day, it's, it's always better to do something than nothing, you know? Are you talking about like a 10 day silent retreat or a 10 days is something different? Oh, like, like the 10 day silent retreats. I oh, definitely, okay. you know, I definitely recommend them if they, even for a beginner. Yeah. Even, I mean, I, I only meditated for 20 minutes before ever in my whole life before I did a 10 day. Oh really? And like just, just once, you know, um, <laughs> my, my, my wife is the same, my, my friend as well. Like, you know, you go in there, but it's such a supportive environment that, um, the, the environment's so strong that, you know, you're totally able to just kind of sort of just go into it and start practicing and, and, but I'm saying for people who it may seem too daunting to, you know, I feel like yeah. the idea of not speaking is too scary. I would say, don't be afraid of meditation in general, uh -huh. because there are so many other meditation techniques that can really, you know, meet you where you're at. And, you know, even if you're met, if you find something where you can meditate for 15 minutes a day, doing 15 minutes is better than nothing. So, um, you know, it's definitely worthwhile to, to, to use something. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think, I'm not a an expert meditator, and I honestly am, am not a consistent practitioner either, but talking with you makes me want to be more consistent about it. I'm just wondering if, I guess I'm wondering if it's possible to get the benefits of meditating through other various activities or, or, or practices. Um, I was talking with a cognitive scientist on a previous episode, uh, Don Hoffman, and yeah. he was saying something really interesting about meditating. He's, you know, he's this super intellectual academic type, but you know, he meditates and he and he comes at it from a kind of a, an evolutionary perspective. He says that the, you know, as humans, 
we have this this um, feature of our uh, um, psychology that we label anxiety, but it's actually, and it is a feature, it's not a bug. We think it's like this flaw, right? But it's actually helped us to survive, um, you know, right. through through right. many millennia. And so the the the, the humans who didn't um, who weren't anxious enough didn't survive, right? They weren't aware enough to survive <laughs> yeah. to pass on their genes, and so hence all the people here that have survived the the descendants of those um, early humans, you know, have that that um, anxiousness uh, have anxious tendencies essentially, and so. The goal, he says, of meditating is to kind of override that software and you do it through meditating and and communicating with the amygdala, essentially saying, you know, you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be um, paranoid. Like this is okay, And you're kind of employing classical conditioning. So I'm I'm just wondering if um, like for someone just starting out and they seem daunted by 10 day retreat, they they maybe you've never meditated before at all. Like what's, what's a, what's a baby step? What's a, what's a, something that someone can do right now after they finish listening to this podcast to kind of help them um, cultivate more inner peace or get the benefits of meditating, whether it's through meditating or whether it's through some other mindfulness activity. Yeah. Um, definitely. Before I answer that, I want to say that, the, um, what was his name? Dr. Hoffman, uh, his name was Don Hoffman. Don Hoffman, I think what he said is so exact. That's so, so correct, especially because there's so much different software in the mind. But when you're really working on overriding it, like for anxiety, for example, you know, when, when we're a lot of, there's so much anxiety, so much, so many patterns of anxiety inside of us that when we're releasing them, you know, some people may think like, oh, meditating will make you so, you know, too placid or too calm. And you just like, won't do anything. You won't care about the world, but it's actually really the opposite. You know, you're getting rid of that anxiety, you can get rid of it and still be a extraordinarily active person. And in some ways more active than you were before. It's just that you'll be able to respond to life without causing yourself misery. Cause you know, the, that that's the heavy part of anxiety is that, you know, you'll still run away from danger, but in the process of it, you know, you're feeling so much mental tension, but if you're like a good meditator and you're recognizing, Oh, this is danger, you know, but I'm going to also run away from it, but I'm going to, I'm not going to feel that same tension, but still come to a similar result. That's beneficial. Yeah. And, um, and, and the idea is, is that like, we don't have the same threats that our early ancestors who needed anxiety in that way exactly. had, yeah. right. We have much different yeah. threats. They're more, they're more chronic, they're more career oriented and they're more these little, right. these little <laughs> things that eat at us. And yeah. so it's a much different, you know, we don't need it as powerfully as, as we used to. So. Definitely. But I think um, for someone who, you know, wants to test the waters, I think there's, um, you know, especially in the bigger cities like New York City and Los Angeles, um, you know, there are these great places where you can, you know, actual meditation studios, you know, we're familiar with yoga studios, but there are these meditation studios popping up with, um, you know, pretty qualified teachers. Like I know Mindful is a big one in uh, in New York City that actually has, you know, tons of different um, teachers or different styles. And, you know, people can go in there and sort of pick, you know, what they want. And I think they have like, you know, you'll meditate, you'll have like guided meditations for like 30, 45 minutes and you can, you know, go there and test it out. Same thing with, uh, New York city has, um, this wonderful place called unplug meditation, which, um, you know, has, has a variety of teachers, you know, all qualified and, um, you know, can, you know, help you sort of, uh, start taking those first inward steps. But 
I think that I think that's really the big plus of you know we're so fortunate to live in this modern era where the world has become the world has become so globalized that we have access to you know so many different varieties of techniques out there you know especially if you live in an urban area and you live in a city then you know it's really it's just a matter of you googling you know what you know different therapists different meditation techniques different styles of yoga and then you going and having the courage and the honesty to you know go out there and try something new but there's really a lot that can start turning you inward i like i said don't meditate in a technically sound way, probably. And I don't even practice any specific tradition necessarily. But the way I, I guess, my version of meditating is, well, there's a couple things that I do. One of the things is, like, like while I lie in bed before falling asleep, I'll kind of take very deep and um, concerted breaths in and out. And I'll just kind of let my let my mind wander and i feel very relaxed it's a, it's a very it's a very special time I, I i love the time right before bed because it does relax me and it's very dark yeah. and i feel really good the other thing i do and you know and i don't know how long that that goes on for because i fall asleep shortly afterward but <laughs> right. um not immediately but but you know shortly and so the other thing i do and I don't know if this qualifies, but I, I mean, reading for me is a very introspective and inward focused activity. And it, I'm a very slow reader because I will read like a few lines and that'll trigger something in me. That's like, yeah, that, like very, <laughs> yeah. And, and it, I'll be very uh, contemplative and, and I'll, I'll be like, Hmm, yeah. And I'll think about that and maybe I'll, I'll meditate on it. And I don't know if I'm using meditate in a more colloquial sense there, but I, you know, these are ways that I kind of practice being mindful and being aware, being aware of my thoughts. Um, are these valid tools like are outside of the traditional technical way of, of meditating? Are these also valid tools? Well, I'm not, you know, I, um, I'm not a meditation teacher, so I'm, I'm a meditation student. And um, I'm definitely, you know, I definitely write a lot about, you know, what's happening in the mind and whatnot. But I think um, just from my personal perspective, I think what really matters um, is particularly with mindfulness, like if you're doing something with all of yourself, you know, if you're really doing something and you're actually reading, you're actually, you know, instead of like thinking about a dozen other things, you know, yeah. there's so many when you read and you know it's time to stop reading because you you you're two page you know you've read two pages and you don't remember any of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, well then you're you're not really there. You know, so even you know when you're like moving around, but you're like maintaining that strict awareness of just being fully with what you're doing. Like for example, you know one of the best ones that we should obviously be most aware of is when we're cutting vegetables, right? Mm. When we're like literally cutting vegetables and we're paying so much attention to make sure we don't cut ourselves. You know, things like that. I think. Um, in some way for sure are, you know, uh, it's like a mindfulness practice, but the deepest meditations definitely happen when you're sitting, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're sitting and you're, you know, aren't doing anything else and you're fully with yourself, then you're really allowed to go very, very deep inside the mind. But, um, but no, there are definitely, if you do something with a lot of awareness and you're being really mindful, then I think that's, there's definitely a benefit to that. You should, you know, that's really how we should be living our lives because the most beautiful things happen in the present moment. And the mind is so accustomed to just hanging out in the future, hanging out in the past and, you know, just thinking, imagining all these things that 
just aren't what's actually happening. So if you're there and you're actually doing it, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more beneficial. I like what you said too, about, about reading slowly, because if you read too fast, you don't get to internalize anything. Yeah. I'm sure you've read those studies where you read and then they say, you know, you only really remember like 10%, but if yeah. you're reading something really good, like remember like that book, Sapiens? Yeah. I read, I read, I read Sapiens so slowly. Cause I was like, <laughs> man, I'm trying to remember everything. Like, is- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too, man. I, I actually read, I revisited. And then I also listened to the audio. I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly big oh, audio okay. guy too. And so like all these different ways of processing the information, I find that if I use them, it helps me remember it more and make it stickier for me. Yeah, yeah, no, that's wonderful. And also the the the, the guy who wrote Sapiens, he's another, he's a, he's meditator. actually a Vipassana meditation teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah Yuval Noah Harari. Guy, he, he, yeah, he goes away for 60-day courses, so Ooh, wow. those are totally silent. But um, But yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's a really interesting guy. I'd actually really like to to have him on this podcast at some point. It would be be cool. So, okay, if you forgive me for harping on this meditation thing because I just want to nail down like I want to nail down a few things. <laughs> I want to nail down what has contributed most to because you know, you seem like a really uh, centered guy and and I know you write a lot about your journey and how you've cultivated inner peace and you really like you can just feel it off feel it coming off of you that that's that you really live that and i just want to know what a couple things like what do you think has contributed to that the most and then i mean that might be meditation it might be something deeper and then also if you could if you could encapsulate the benefits of meditating in one sentence what would they be yeah, I think um if and you know if we want to go a little deeper, I think, you know, obviously it's meditating itself that has cultivated so much of um of my personal progress and my personal healing and just sort Why of allowing the, you know better versions of, of of Diego to come forward. What? What do you mean? Um why do you think that is? Why do you think that has been so impactful? Is it is it is it because of kind of what Maybe. Oh, be, oh, because it's, it's because it's literally reshaping the mind. Mm. You know, I'm literally getting rid of the software. Like, you know, software is a great idea. I'm literally like taking out software that's full of viruses yeah. out of my mental computer and yeah. adding in software that makes my my computer stronger, faster, more creative, and is has the ability to solve more. So, if you think about it in those terms, like, yeah, you know, it's I'm literally like, you know, just erasing all the stuff. And, you know, you can't erase memories, but you can let go of the intense energy that's attached to memories. Mm. And a lot of that is, you know, it's really helpful in letting go. But um, but I think it, it works because it literally is reshaping the mind. You know, you don't change the structure of the mind, but you change the contents of the mind. Yeah. And some, some of the contents are just so heavy, so thick that um, you can't quite see properly. Like I was saying before, you can't observe properly. But, you know, you're literally, you know, you're taking evolution into your hands and you're actively, you know, pushing yourself, not pushing, but you're actively moving forward into, um, you know, your more evolved self instead of like waiting for, you know, evolution to do it itself. You're just you just take it by the reins and and get the job done. But um, but I would say it's um, that for that one sentence, meditation is worthwhile because it'll just help you suffer through life less you know, you'll, you'll literally be able to be happier. 
and um, and we suffer so much, you know. And and like we well, like we said before, it's such a modern time, you know. We're not like we're not being hunted. We're not like we're not, um, you know, most of us or not most of us. I mean, there's still a lot more. Um, you know, our, our world can be much more equitable, but a lot of us, you know, we, we're not um, struggling for food and all of these things, but, but the anxieties and the different worries we feel are actually, you know, they're so cumbersome and a lot of times deeply unnecessary. So why go through that? You know, why feel this anxiety? Why feel this worry? You know, why feel this hatred or, or whatnot, you know, so it's worthwhile to just go deeply in there and, you know, start getting rid of those patterns that cause those particular responses. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to ask you about something you mentioned earlier, which I think you mentioned the phrase uh, kind of we're collectively evolving or our consciousness is collectively evolving or, or something like that. I think you, you mentioned yeah, it. Yeah. I want to talk with you a little bit more about that. What you mean by that? I think that, you know, we obviously have had a physical and biological evolution. We've experienced that that whole trajectory. But I, I think we are um, evolving our consciousness too. And despite all of the turmoil in, in modern day, in the modern day world and society and the things that we hear in the news and, 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 and the, the political um, divide, all this stuff, I think much like the stock market, like it goes up and down, up and down, but the trend is upward like the the, yeah. the overarching trend of human yeah. consciousness the evolution is 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 definitely upward I, I think what's your your take on that I think um we as human beings have a lot of work to do on the individual and on the collective level I think um like I mentioned before you know more of us are eating more of us have access to food than ever before but there's still so very many of us that are struggling on a daily basis to eat you know and this is something for a humanity that is developing its morality, you know, that's something that we have to address collectively. But, um, you know, I, uh, Dr. Paul Fleischman, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's, um, he's a big, uh, psychologist, I think out of Tufts. Um, and he also practices Vipassana as well, but he, I was listening to one of his lectures the other day and he was talking about how, you know, we, because we watch the news and the way the news works. So, and such a, um, you know, they're always pulling out the worst parts of what's happening, which yeah. is obviously, you know, we should be aware of what's happening, of course, but it makes, it paints a picture that's a lot drearier, especially if you don't put it into the context of history. Yeah. And, um, exactly. and when he started putting it in context, he was like, you know, during the time of like 1936 to 1945, there were upwards of a hundred million people that were killed, just like wiped off the earth. Mm -hmm. He said in, in Russia and Russia alone during World War II, there was about 26 million people that died in like a six, seven year period. Can you imagine that? Like wow. 26 million. And then not even counting the Spanish flu that also wiped out, like, I think like 25 million people. Um, and then there was the huge um, like smallpox during yep. a few decades. Smallpox wiped out 300 million people. You know, if can you imagine we us living like with the way our news is set up, how dramatic that would be compared to the things that are happening now. Now, of course, there are horrible things happening in Syria, you know, in different areas of the Middle East. And, you know, with all the school shootings and everything, you know, all the things that are happening, we think, oh, my goodness, we live in such a horrible world. But in actuality, if you take that aggregate situation and you start really punching the crunching the numbers, 
you will see that violence in general and just global deaths has really plummeted. You know, it's really going yeah. down. It's not to say that we shouldn't care about what's happening. We should be very active in trying to make the world better and better. But um, we should definitely start noticing that, that, man, this is, you know, the situation we're in right now is like way less deadly than it was before. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you, Yuval Noah Harari, um, the author of Sapiens, wrote another book called Homo Deus. And he talks about that exact thing. He basically talks about the future of of humanity. You know, Sapiens was talking about the the br- brief history of humankind, and Homo Deus is talking about the like a future of humanity. And he says basically what you said that we're overcoming a lot of the things that have been the biggest problems for most of humanity. Um, famine is is uh, we're largely overcoming that. Uh, obviously, there, we yeah. still have a lot to accomplish. Um, you know, um, wars were not like, like wars aren't as, um, as prevalent and the stability of nations isn't as volatile for the most part as it had been, as it has been for most of history, you know, because of globalization and other things. And so, um, I just think that's interesting. And then he says that he goes on to say that we're getting to the point where we're going to have to find, um, or we're eventually going to end up finding other things to focus on, other problems to focus on, like, um, you know, artificial intelligence. Right, um, like, like mortality. Exactly, like yeah. immortality, like things like that, it, you know. And I think, I think that's interesting from um, a couple different perspectives because as as individuals, when things get really good, you start to kind of make problems for yourself, you know, like if I know, I know, I know, (laughs) at least in my personal life, that's, that's a thing. My Vanessa and I have a, a term that we coined ourselves that we use in our relationship and we call it Sundaying. And it, it, it uh, originated back uh, when I had a, when I had like a nine to five job and Sunday was kind of our main day when we would have no worries. We would have no obligations, but we would kind of like, get this anxiety sometimes we'd fight on sundays but we would have no problems but we would kind of make (laughs) problems you know and people do this i think sometimes when they have where things are going really well in their life right when when things are um going really well career-wise or or otherwise kind of self-sabotage or making up problems the mind needs problems to focus on right it's 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 a it's what doesn't need it but we we think it does because it's a two million year old brain that's the way yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the way it's function. It's like if, if there's not a problem, yeah. like th- there's something wrong, right? And so it's so interesting that humanity is doing that same thing. And I, that's a little bit tangential, but I just wanted to present that idea and see if you had any thoughts on it. No, I think um, I think there's two really good points there. I think um, you know that what you call it, Sundaying. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's an exact reason why it's so beneficial to start using these different healing techniques and start because you're literally, you know, that's that right there is your mind looking for an object to be upset about. Yep. You know, especially when we're tired, especially when, um, you know, we have so many of these patterns accumulated in over time inside of our mind that if it doesn't have an object to sort of really grab onto, you know, the mind's always trying to grab onto something next. So. Mm-hmm sort of peeling back and sort of removing that software and just, um, you know, really using some sort of technique to, instead of your mind sort of chasing for an object, it feels much more comfortable being in the present moment, which is, you know, which is really, really the the foundation of inner peace is like, okay, like I can be here this, I can actually be present and be okay with it. But no, I think, um, you know, that's sort of what we were talking about, um, 
uh, was Yuval Harari. Like it's it's so I think a lot of what's going to get us to that point where we start fixing a lot of these big global problems like, um, you know, hunger and poverty. What's going to help really take us there is this sort of massive movement of individual transformation that I see happening now. You know, right now we call it wellness, but it's really, you know, human beings are, you know, there's noticing that tools are available and they're also noticing that they want to build a palace of peace inside of themselves. They want to build something strong inside of themselves. So, you know, and to build any powerful structure, you need good tools. So people are going and actively using different tools that are available to to them to, um, you know, help cultivate that inner peace. But what happens when you, you know, release so much of this, this, um, emotional history, you release so much of this baggage and clutter inside the mind, then there's a pretty natural emergence of love, of clarity, of creativity, and the ability to just solve problems that previously you thought impossible. So I think that this like new wave of creativity and love that's going to start emerging very naturally from people after they do their healing work is going to help really propel us into, you know, solving these really big problems. Yeah, I totally agree. What uh, books would you recommend for people who are interested in cultivating inner peace and and meditating and working on themselves on these deeper psychological levels? Yeah, there's a few. One second while I grab one. Um, I um, the one that I really have loved for a long time is um. The Huahu Ching, and I, I told you about this one. It's the Huahu Ching. Um, it's spelled. It's not the Tao Te Ching. It's um, or Tao Te Ching, but it's yeah. spelled H U A space H U space C H I N G, and it's also by Lao, by Lao Tzu. And it's actually a book that um, Lao Tzu would give to his very serious followers, mm-hmm. whereas the Tao the the Tao Te Ching was sort of made for a general audience. Ah. And um, so the Huahu Ching is like, oh, man, it's really next level. Really, it's in the same format, very short poetry. Yeah. But it just, it'll pack a punch, man. That book, whenever I pick it up and I, I read one poem, like, I'm good. I'm good <laughs> for like a day or two because it just packs such a punch. Yeah. But um, outside of that, there's a great book called The Art of Dying. And um. It's a sort of a, a, a collection of stories of people who had been meditating for a long time in the Vipassana tradition that I'm a part of. And it's um, collected and edited by Virginia Hamilton. And it's a really beautiful book that can really show you, um, you know, serious, serious sort of uh, cultivation of inner peace can do for you, especially because, you know, what's a part of being a human being? You, you know, you're born and then ultimately one day you die. But you know, can you sort of leave this plane peacefully and gracefully? And it's beautiful sort of hearing all these different stories. I, I think this book has had a big impact on me. Other than that, I highly, I mean, Sapiens is huge, man. I definitely recommend people read Sapiens for mm, yeah. a lot of different, you know, um, if you're into history, if you're into psychology, if you're into just sort of analyzing the, you know, this big sort of human history that we've all shared, I think that's a, a really useful book. And then um, the Dhammapada is also fantastic. The Bhagavad Gita is also great. And um, there's also this wonderful book called The Great Disciples of the Buddha that I really, really enjoy um, that's edited by Bhikkhu Bodhi. And I think that's good. Oh, also, uh, no, yeah, that's good for now. <laughs> nice. That, that's a good handful of 
of books yeah. and I'm going to include the links to those in the, yeah. in the show notes here, but that's, that's good. Are those some of yeah. the ones that have shaped you? Yeah. Also Herman Hess, um, Siddhartha by Herman Hess. It's so beautiful. Oh, okay. it's, it's definitely worth a read. It's a very short book, but it, um, especially if you're sort of new to this, all of this realm of, um, you know, meditating and introspection, I think, um, Herman Hess writes really beautifully about, um, the power that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's through a story and, but it, it really illuminates a lot of these things that we're talking about. Very cool, man. That's, uh, those are excellent recommendations. So yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. I, I want to be respectful of your, of your time here and we're reaching the end. Is there any, anything you want to, to leave the people listening with any call to action, um, any thought that you want to, that you want to leave for our listeners? Yeah, I think, uh, I think one of the really, one of the main reasons that, that I started writing was because I was, once I started really getting serious about my personal inner work and really started, you know, changing the way I was eating and started meditating and all of that, that we've been talking about, what really dawned on me was that healing, healing yourself is really possible. And I think, you know, in this modern age, we're still learning and and becoming more accepting of that idea. Because a lot of times, you know, they'll tell you, you know, you have a disease and you have it forever. But from my experience, it's not necessarily true. You know, you can really, um, you know, and obviously situations are very, very different. You know, obviously some people have very serious diseases that are very hard to combat. But a lot of times, you know, a lot of these things can be reversed and, you know, mental issues, um, sort of, uh, different traumas that we carry or, you know, different bodily, bodily ailments. But I really, I really believe. And I think one of the things that we're really coming to accept is that you can actually heal yourself. And obviously that requires proper tools and, you know, um, you know, some knowledge, but it's out there. And I think that's really, um, a lot of the, this global transformation that we'll be seeing, um, is going to be, you know, founded on our ability to heal ourselves as individuals. So I really hope that the people listening, you know, that they know, and they're encouraged to actually do something, uh, for themselves, for their own benefit. And then it'll naturally trickle outward to benefit their families and, you know, their societies. I love that. I I mean, I love the idea of focusing on improving yourself working on yourself, transforming yourself and taking that personal responsibility. And that ultimately, if everyone does that, you know, you say that's just one person. Sure. But if everybody does that, then all of a sudden we have a different world. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. So you're, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh no. I was just going to connect people back to just like how they can get a hold of me. Yes. Um, I think, uh, yeah, a great way is through Instagram. That's definitely the main way that I share a lot of my writings and different events that I'm up to. And, um, on Instagram, it's a Y U N G underscore P U E B L O. And, uh, my book inward is, um, is available, uh, worldwide and on Amazon, um, specifically through the, and in USA, in the UK and the, in the European union and in Canada, it's through Amazon. And then the, for the rest of the world, you can go to bookdepository.com which, um, does free, free international shipping, which is fantastic. And yeah, all you have to do is just search inward, I N W A R D inward, um, and young Pueblo and it, the book should pop right up. Yeah. And I, I love this book. I mean, it's so well written. You, you really do have a gift 
for for writing and and touching just different parts of my my emotions and <laughs> and uh, mind. It's very very fun to read and very insightful um, observations about human psychology and uh, just about emotions. Like you're very emotionally intelligent, and so I, I love the book. I've read most of it. I have many dog-eared pages, so um, highly recommend it. Thank you. Thank you, Ruben. It means a lot coming from you. Of course. Thank you so much, Young Pueblo. Appreciate you being here, and hopefully we can connect uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, and thank you to everybody for listening. Hey, thanks for listening to the Think Grow podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and find value in this podcast, I humbly ask you to please subscribe and or leave me a review on iTunes. Or you can just share it with a friend who you think might find value in it. If you've already done any of these, I want to take a moment to sincerely thank you. I truly, truly appreciate your support. Lastly, if you have any suggestions for future guests or topics you'd like to hear covered, you can email podcast at thinkgrowprosper.org. Thank you.